This week on Media Delta, Vampire Hunter D, Bloodlust. The D stands for damn good. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Media Delta. Um, we are continuing our kind of Halloween theme by looking at spooky stuff. And actually, this is going to be the last one of the kind of spookier things, but I wouldn't really call this a horror, horror movie, but it is definitely of a very Halloween-friendly type. Uh, so it's gothic yeah, fuck. it is incredibly gothic. <laughs> um, so yeah, we are talking about, and technically this is not the first, we are talking about a movie that was based on a license. Uh, that's actually, we played actually a game that's based on this particular movie. Uh, this movie, um, we're talking about vampire hunter D bloodlust today. Uh, vampire hunter D bloodlust is based on, the third of a ton of novels in the Vampire Hunter D line. Uh, the novels actually go back to 1983. Uh, this part, the novel that this one's based on is from 1985. Although this movie uh, came out in 2000, well, just 2000 in Japan or like it when initially shown. Also, uh, you might want to mention the name of the author, but more importantly, the name of the artist. Uh, yeah. So, this is, let's see, um, I probably, so yeah, the novel is written by Hideyuki Kikuchi, I think. Um, yeah, I think. I've also done a series of other like novels. Uh, this is definitely probably their most, more, definitely their more famous, at least around here. Um, and yeah, the, uh, artist for this is I, I wanted to make sure I got the name right. Um, or at least the person who did the, the designs, the I illustrations, think. the illustrations, uh, is, uh, Yoshitaka. Get, yeah. Yoshitaka Mano. I was trying to get the full name, but yeah, the final fantasy dude. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Uh, and it's, it shows like the thing. Oh my God. They're all so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing about, Final Fantasy that kind of irks me is the fact that you look at like those cover arts and they look so good. They kind of want to see something in that style. You well, guess what? There's vampire gremlin sprite. Yeah, guess what? You got Vampire Hunter D, which is basically oh a classic Final Fantasy. <laughs> like they're so gorgeous. You look at the cover of Final Fantasy One on the Famicom, and it is basically you can see that it is someone that would fit right in uh, with this thing because this. This franchise is a really weird, like I kind of, it's one of those things that I really like where it's a far future, but also very much in the past kind of thing, like post-apocalyptic, yeah, post-apocalyptic. Um, Cause what, this movie takes place in what, like 12,000? Something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. like I, I just... 10,000 years in the future or so. I yeah. Just, I just got to mention it really quick. God, they've all got like the most fucking voluminous eyelashes. Holy shit. Yeah. It's, it's, they have this, this entire thing has a look. Um, and yeah, it's a very beautiful movie. Uh, but yeah, um, I should mention that, yes, uh, this is a very beautiful movie and, uh, I am not the only one who got to gaze into the beauty. Uh, so please introduce yourselves in alphabetical order. Oh boy. I think that puts me I, in first. I I'm here for all that goth shit and more. Oh my god. 
Goth and gothic. Yes. Together at last. Uh, I am Chachi, and uh, with me is Maxwell. Hello. We are here for uh, basically to hoot and holler. I mean, I'm Dorpid Typist, and I'm here to get fucking destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of interesting names associated to this particular movie. The thing that it always stuck out, it's something that when I looked, I saw it, because there's a, there's a thing about, like, especially if you look at, like, the Vampire D, like, the character designs. Like, you can definitely tell it's Yoshitaki Mono. But when it comes to an animation and like the way that action flows, um, there is a certain feel of it that I couldn't shake when I watched this. Uh, and that is because of the director of this particular movie, uh, one Yoshiaki Ka- uh, Kawajiri, uh, whose previous works include illustrious titles like, say, for example, um, Cyber City Oedo 808. Uh, Ninja Scroll, Wicked City, Goku Midnight Eye. You could fucking see the Cyber City and Ninja Scroll (laughs) in this shit. All those really bad 80, well, bad in air quotes, um, 80s OVAs. Fucking eat that shit up. It's great. Like, it's just, actually, I should check to make, was it Goku Midnight Eye? I know. He's worked on a lot of things. I'm pretty sure I saw that. It's in that same vein. Um, sorry, Ninja Scroll. But yeah, also that uh, a Wicked City maybe, and that's what was confusing. No, you, you're right. Goku Minadai. He's a okay. director. Oh yeah. Yep. There it goes. Also worked on Birdie the Mighty. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Also uh, Batman Gotham Knight. Okay, but more importantly, X. Yes, he also worked on X. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's a thing that I think that we're looking it up and there's oddly enough a weird god he was the highlander movie the highlander anime oh um, lord there was a highlander anime yeah. i have watched it and it is mm. also <laughs> i think that he was involved in, like he and a bunch of other people who worked on this uh were involved in thundercats uh so so Max, like you could fucking feel the ninja scroll in the Highlander anime. Oh dear. Yeah. It's not good. No, it's not. There was also a very uh well known I think it was a YTMND of it. Yeah. Or at least a dumb video on YouTube. But yeah, it has a look to it which really put me right in the mood. But yeah. Uh so there's kind of a lot of things that happen here. So I couldn't really think of any questions for it. So we're just going to go round Robin and kind of at first, just kind of give um, our impressions and something that we'd like to bring to the table. And then after that, we're just going to go in the same order, like in a circle again and just until we run out of things to talk about. Have you just given up on questions? <laughs> eh, sometimes. It's just this. It it also, yeah. It's yeah. Once you learned about the round robin, you're like, hmm. What are questions? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we usually end up answering the questions in a previous question anyway. So let's not. <laughs> like, 
everyone talks at length. Yep. Uh, so I guess um, let's start. Well, I guess let's just start in the Discord order. Uh, DM, uh, what were your general impressions? Is there anything? And what is your thing you want to bring to the table? Everything. This was some good shit. Because you had top stuff. You had vampires. You had cyber punks or uh, steampunky stuff with the like tank thing that the mercenaries were driving and all their gear and the weird castle spaceship thing was don't forget the cyber horse yes and the cyber horse and the demon horse cyber horses that explode when they hit the ground and not in a cool fiery way just everything just good shit uh yeah so i take it you like this movie yes (laughs) <laughs> no, I hated it. It was terrible. <laughs> Not recommend. No, it's great because, like, I even told her beforehand, this is incredibly your shit. I hope That's... you enjoy it. Wasn't wrong. Yeah, this definitely was a thing. So, because yeah, I'll, I'll when it gets to my turn, I'll, I will go into my thoughts on this movie. Um, but is there anything else you want to call out? Uh, no. All right. Um, either Max and or Chachi, whichever one of you want to go first. You go ahead. Um, no, you go ahead. <laughs> You're not in the thick. <laughs> problems already. Uh, I am loath to tread too heavily on what I'd like to bring to the table because I'm worried that I might step on Torpo's toes a little bit. Um, no, don't worry about it. Fuck I, I've said in previous discussions uh both on media delta as well as just you know informally that i think that um every good story is in some way a love story and i think that holds particularly true here Uh, i think that narratively with maybe like one or two beats that stand out as sort of glaring exceptions this is a really really strong movie um i think that I think that there is a there is a constant coherence and drive towards a, a singular thrust. And granted, at times that thrust is look at these beautiful porcelain smooth men with their beautiful eyelashes. But They're so pretty. It's still, it's still very very tight. It's a it's a hugely clean film, and I really like that. Um, and to go sort of parallel, I guess, to to Chachi's thing about it being a love story. I like that it is a very different take on the stereotypical vampire story in that it doesn't bring a whole lot of new ideas to the table. You know, you've got the son of the powerful vampire lord, not actually named Dracula in Vampire Hunter D, but you know that's what they're going for. Uh, basically, D is Alucard. Um, but the vampire, the actual vampire that they spend most of the movie chasing down, is not the most vampiric character among the main cast. Because if you think about it, the um, the hunters that are hired, the human hunters, uh, are actually more of a typical vampiric type 
than the actual vampire who burns up in the sun. They're out there hunting their prey. They're going after their blood money. They don't care about Charlotte's wishes and, and, and what she wants, which what she wants is to be with her vampire boyfriend. And both of them are highly respecting each other in that, in that sense, while she is not being respected by the people who are quote unquote trying to save her. And I think that's a really interesting and different take on, on vampire stories that you don't normally see. That the vampire and his girlfriend are the ones being hunted more strongly than the vampires than uh, vampires hunting humans. Well, maybe that's when that was made. Twilight's happened since then. And everything <laughs> that's like that. We, we don't talk about Twilight. <laughs> you say that, but like even in this, it's specifically the vampire is fighting off his instincts. And his his baser urges because he wants to be with this woman and keep her human. Yeah, he he respects her. He respects that she loves the sun so much that he is fighting his urges to to leave her human. Would would you say that he's fighting his bloodlust? That might be why it's called bloodlust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's her love of the sun. It's it's she's she even says like. That it'd be easier if he just turned her into a vampire. He's like, no, it's you're better off this way. You don't want what I have, and he's he's kind of right. That's yeah. uh, that's mostly my input there. So, all right, uh, I guess uh, that brings us to Torpo. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the romance in this is is very much a, a tragic one. It's the kind where they they could never truly be happy, unfortunately. Uh, least of all by making a deal with fucking Carmilla. Yeah. Don't, don't. You don't, you don't deal with Carmilla. You just don't. But uh, I, I find this movie incredibly enjoyable. Uh, I think like, in motion it works really well. Madhouse did an absolutely fucking fantastic job. There's so much detail uh, everywhere, uh, and just the sense of aesthetics is incredibly interesting and unique. Uh, ranging from the fucking broken down highway next to a desert, which had giant fucking manta rays flying out of the earth to the giant mirrored cube in the middle of the forest where the vampire would use to hide uh, from the sunlight uh, during his trip. And uh, a fantastic old man living in someone's hand. Yeah, the fucking gross old man in the hand who doesn't shut up. Or even uh, the, the other big, big, big set piece was Carmilla's Castle, which is this giant gothic structure. It's incredibly, impossibly massive and so wonderfully designed with its many it's it's blacks and reds and all that and it was it was the movie's just a sight to behold it really is or like even one of the the less nice looking areas which was a giant area full of like uh towers for power lines where there was a big fight actually and even that they managed to make aesthetically interesting due to the harsh shat- the hard shadows cast by the sun uh in that scene and just, just this is a absolute treat visually. Uh, the voice work also is actually, I feel worth mentioning, very good, especially for the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like everyone did a fantastic job with their part. Yeah, you got a lot of standard uh, voice actors for the time, because uh, we watched the dub. Uh, so we got, you know, your standard, your Wendy Lee, your uh, Mary Elizabeth McGuinn. Uh, John DiMaggio voicing four separate characters. And he 
fucking has range. People forget yeah. that, but that man has range. Um, Barry. Also, the one that threw me off was Dwight Schultz, uh, also known as Howling Mad Murdoch from the A Team, like the classic <laughs> one. That's always just weird seeing him and stuff. He gets around too. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those things. Like it even manages to get past like the director's roots of things like Ninja Scroll, which are just constant slugfests between supernatural powers. Like every single one of the things he's worked on is basically that. Uh, and it, like, I'm not gonna say it's like a revolutionary story, like the best written thing, but it manages to convey its its very tragic romance surprisingly well for what it is. Yeah, um, it. A lot of it is you're not here f like. Not that the story's bad, but it's all about the ride and the the spectacle along the way. Yeah. Also things like the cross tank too, or the fucking fucking brick wheel with the cross headlight. God. Oh yeah, the monocycle is is just wonderful. It's just a brick on a wheel, and its headlight is a fucking cross. It's so good. Gets you where you need to go. That's the other thing. This movie is supremely extra, but in a way that absolutely fucking works for it. Absolutely. But uh, the whole I mean, movie is just aesthetic. It's like, like three different aesthetics at once, but they make it work. Yeah, but like, like, like even so, going back to the story real quick, uh, I, I will say, like, he even manages to hit its emotional beats really well, uh, to the death of of the the human woman. To uh, I. So some people find it kind of goofy, but I really enjoy it, which is the the originally the vampire uh, and his, his girlfriend had hoped to go to the moon uh, to a place where they'd be safe. Because uh, there is a, a, a group of vampires who live on the moon and have a city there. Uh, you have so... to worry about the sun when you're on the moon. Exactly. That's how that works, right? Yeah. I mean, if you live on the dark side of the moon, it's fine. But uh, and essentially what happens at the very end is after she's dead, he still drags her, well, drags her, he carries her onto the rocket. Uh, and the last thing you see of them is the rocket trying to go to space. And it never makes it abundantly clear if they actually make it or survive or not. But it doesn't need to, because th the moment works really well as like this big em emotional like climax to their whole story. To the point where even one of the characters who was right against them was yelling, come on, you could make it the rocket as it was trying to get off and i thought it was a really good scene immediately followed up by an intensely emotional scene that fucking wrecks me yep uh because the big thing that they actually managed to convey surprisingly well initially is time doesn't work for d he's sort of an essentially an immortal being or at least incredibly 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 long-lived one so people die in front of him all the time or just People get old without him realizing it. So there's one scene where he went to get a new uh, mechanical, not mechanical, cyborg horse. They're cyborg horses. They're meat and metal. Fancy. Uh, and the racist sheriff comes in and says, uh, you can't be doing, you, you can't help this, this fucking done peel. They're kind. Yeah, that's, yeah. They, they mistranslate. The weird transliteration of of yeah damn the, the, the thing is is though that i do find it interesting is that it's consistent beyond all the various things because it was also done peel in 
uh, the video game as well. It could have been one of those things that they fucked up once, but to keep it consistent, stuck with it anyway. Yeah. By the way, you can't be dealing with them dumb peels. So the old man whips out a giant fucking gun and points at them, and he's like, this dude saved me when I was a child, when I was a fucking child. And this man was very clearly, like, very old. 80s or 90s, probably. Yeah. And so, like, it makes it very apparent that that D lives a completely different life from everyone else. And it conveys it well. So when, uh, about midway through the movie, I think, uh, he makes a promise with the Lady Hunter, which is, whoever dies first, the other will leave flowers at their grave. And so the very, because she was always, she she was very worried about being alone because she had been alone for most of her life because she lost people close to her. So at the very end of the movie, um, you see a funeral. They don't say it immediately of a bunch of people, just a, lo- a bunch of people gathered around uh, to pay their respects, dropping flowers on. You see a small blonde child uh, notice D off in the distance by the tree and go to say hi to him. And she mentions her grandma. And it makes it very apparent who it was that was there. And also that she didn't die alone. She died well-loved, surrounded by family, and D kept his promise. Yep. And it's it's so good. It's um, such a good moment. He didn't actually leave flowers. He came to make sure that she received flowers, but he did not bring his own. Maybe he did it beforehand. Or, no, that wouldn't work. Knowing this movie, probably what he did is he leapt overhead on his cyborg horse and dropped a bouquet in his beautiful porcelain manner. And or, you know. Sunset. Okay, so to be fair, the promise was to leave flowers on the grave. She wasn't in the grave yet. Uh-huh. Also, yeah, ah! could, could have just came back after the funeral. Probably yeah. that. But that's not extra. But it was, it was just a really good emotional, like, payoff. And I, I really liked it, and it really fucked me up. It's a good movie. Yep. Uh, so I had never seen it before. I've never seen anything, any of the animated renditions of Vampire D. My only experience with it is that short little bit that we played the PlayStation game that was based on this movie, which that game takes place entirely in Carmilla's castle, I believe. Like, so it's not even that much of a rendition of this movie. But I, I really like enjoyed this movie. The last Fifteen minutes of the movie. Yeah, it's like it's like a the really specific point in the movie that's drawn out over like several hours. Um. But yeah, I really like this movie. Um, and it just basically it. I I don't really have anything specific to say, but yeah, this movie's really good looking. It's a decent story. The character designs are great. It's ninja school, but less skeevy. Actually, completely not skeevy, which is nice. Um, it's just a really good movie. And I, I, I actually really don't have much else to say that hasn't already been said. It, you should watch this movie. Um, yeah, the one, other, the one thing I will say that I think I kind of brought up um, was I really like the idea of um techno like the fact that it's like slightly wi- like wild westish but also slightly futuristic i like i always like it when games do that or ga- games and movies do that 
it is yeah it is like this this sort of like massive like hodgepodge of different uh styles but it all works and makes sense in the setting and also it doesn't try to explain itself which is greatly in its favor yeah because way too many things try to get caught up in trying to explain themselves and it just makes it worse for it but this is like shit there's just art there's just fucking art yep <laughs> it it's really good uh so i guess in that case uh let's kind of go around again if there's anything else to say uh dm um i'll say i'm this is my first time ever having anything to do with vampire hunter d property i will say that it was easy to get into which i'm glad about because it's my understanding this is based on the third novel Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a very uh, sort of like episodic thing to my knowledge, so it kind of works in its favor. Demon Death Chase is the name of the novel. Mm. Uh, the first one was Vampire D. You then had Razor of Gates or Razor of Gales, uh, and then you have Demon Death Chase, uh, which you can uh, find. You can actually find it on amazon digitally for like seven dollars the only other option that i saw on amazon was to pay twenty dollars to get a spanish version of the book santa maria also i like the fact that the fifth novel is called the stuff of dreams wow that's on the nose okay these are some really good titles uh pilgrimage of the sacred and the profane um pale fallen angel uh let's see dark road Look, you've seen this fucking aesthetic. You understand this is all yeah. supremely in character. Um, yeah, and there's one that came out in only in Japanese though, uh, in July of this year. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, they're still going. Mm. Also, there is another vampire hunter, apparently, which is they will never end. Yep, this is going to be a per. This guy, the guy who wrote wrote these, is going to continue write them until he dies. And still publish a few more after. Yeah. And he's also got like a pretty consistent release schedule too. And he's also, and also doing other stuff too. Uh, yeah, he is 71 at the moment. Jesus. So, yeah. Also, man, he also wrote, he wrote the novel also based on Wicked City. <laughs> nice. Which, is that really that surprising? I mean, it's not surprising. It's It's just, Great. If only Cyber City 808 was based on a novel. Also, are these, uh, also, I, I never quite, well, they'd have to be, yeah, they are light novels because, yeah, they're illustrations, yeah. But yes. Uh, but yeah. Like I said this was easy to get into because my only prior experience to this was actually parodies of Vampire D, like what they had in Adventure Quest. And I'm also glad they didn't do a straight ad adaptation because it's my understanding there's a lot of rape in the books. I so, was not familiar yeah. with that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, something I learned actually right before I watched the movie, watching a review of one of the other ones. Huh. Well, good that's thing it for that me. wasn't in the movie. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't in the movie, so A+. plus. Yeah, especially considering the guy who wrote Ninja Scroll, so... Or directed Ninja Scroll, which that makes it very surprising. Nonetheless. Murder vagina. That lady had snakes coming out of there. Anyway. Yeah. No, there was one who, who had a fucking... You know, never mind. I'm not going to yeah. discuss 
the logistics yeah. of vagina murder. We're not talking about Ninja Scroll, thankfully. <laughs> Come on, I've folks. Watch that. Carry this across the line. I, I I was made to watch that again recently in Hot Damn. That's a pile of dog shit. Yeah. Stop watching bad movies, Torpo. Blame Semo. Hunter D, Bloodlust. Blame Semo. That's all I'm the, saying. The one thing I will say in Ninja Scroll's favor is that it is beautifully animated garbage. Yeah. And then there's also this movie, which is also beautifully animated, but also not garbage. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's important to us that the studio uh, note that the studio that did this is in fact Madhouse, who have a have a very solid track record. Let's say. Oh yeah, they are one of the best. I think the thing that serves this movie so well uh, is supported by kind of three salient points. DM mentioned that this is her first experience with Vampire Hunter D material, and she was still able, and so were you, Lolo, uh, to immediately get sucked in by the world and the story. And even though it's basically a small slice of a much greater world, the film is able to stand on its own. And it does so without even requiring you to have a deep knowledge. And I think I think that re- is very telling, because there are a lot of films which are vociferously defended by people who say, well, if you read these three novels that were released as companions to the movie, it makes sense. And this film says, no, we don't want to do that. We would rather just present a narrative that is coherent, or at least as coherent as you can get in the year 12,090. Um, so I, I think that's one of the things that makes this movie very strong. And I don't know if I would call it timeless, but it has aged incredibly well because of that. There's there's very little esoteric wisdom necessary to enjoy this film. You know, if you if you understand the concept of a vampire, you're like sixty percent of the way there in in terms of grasping the narrative, which is which is very nice. The second thing I think that makes this movie very strong. Uh, is kind of a dovetailing between points that uh, Torpo and, and Max brought up, which is that there are very familiar story elements in play here, but they have been sort of adroitly rearranged in order to play with your expectations a little bit. Um, the The origin of the vampire myth can be interpreted as kind of an existential anxiety brought on by the depredations of ruling classes against their underclasses. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're parasites metaphorically feeding off of the youth and the lifeblood of, of the downtrodden. Confound these sexy parasites. Yeah, <laughs> and interestingly, in this film, Meyer Link, one of the blood-drinking monsters who stalks the night, uh, is he has a very sort of tragically noble mean about him. He's he's sort of he's sort of chilly and distant in that way you expect a supernatural being to to uh, to affect. But he you only really hear about the bad things he's done from other people, and of course he's no angel. But it is as we so, see through the yes. That's the important thing is we don't know who's telling the truth or about what. Yes, and that's what I'm getting to. 
By contrast, the Marcus brothers, the, the group of, of vampire hunting mercenaries who are one of the parties in pursuit of Meyer Lake and Charlotte, uh, are they 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 are much more parasitic. Their whole lifestyle revolves around the necessity for their services. The world is rotten and dying in many ways, or at least clinging to life. So and... the funny thing is, the opening crawl even mentions that vampires are actually on the decline? Yes. They've been declining for something like 8,000 years by the time the movie comes around. Um you know, according to according to some of the esoterica of the franchise. Which makes you wonder how many there were in the first place. Because, I mean, a lot of the whole thing of vampires is that there aren't usually that many of them because of the need, the, the requirement for competition that it would cause for, uh, for resources. So, and how much attention it, would, it brings them as a, 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 a way they call it would be enemies of humanity. I don't I don't know off the top of my head what the exact number of vampires looked like at sort of the height of their culture, I suppose. Um, but I do know just enough about it that uh, there were um, 1,000 members of the so-called greater nobility. The, the lesser nobility meant to refer to true vampires as opposed to like people they had they had fed on and turned into ghouls or like lower beings and whatnot. Um, then the uh, the greater nobility answered to the seven kings of the vampires, and these seven kings were subordinated to uh, to uh, the the sacred ancestor, the king of kings, the the, the progenitor of their of their species. Um, so you can imagine that they were not probably like numbering in the billions like humanity was at its height. But there certainly were, you know, probably somewhere to the tune of tens of thousands of them, maybe more. Uh, they were certainly powerful enough to to impose their will upon the planet for quite some time. Uh, right. So um, the thing that I was saying that uh, that that Torpo and, and Max have both alluded to is that the, the Marcus brothers, um, they they go from place to place. They're sort of like they're sort of like flies jumping from one carcass to another. They go, they feed on it, they lay their eggs in order to propagate, you know, their lifestyle, and then they move on. They don't really care about the fallout of what they do. Uh, you can see this in the scene on the bridge where the brothers catch up to Meyerlink's carriage, attempt to forcibly uh, extract Charlotte from the situation, and then torture Meyerlink when he emerges into the sunlight to try to save his love. Um, and they're they're sort of gleefully cackling and talking about how their job is going to be easier and that hey they don't really even need charlotte to be alive in order to get the money they were promised for completing the contract so all of these things paint a paint a very bleak and and complex picture of these these are basically bad guys these are kind of the bad guys in the story uh you follow them around a lot but that doesn't mean they're good Another thing that it makes them very interesting and compelling to me is that this badness is constantly juxtaposed with symbols that are that are meant to be holy. They have crosses all over their tank, they have silver arrows, they have any number of, of doodads that have the affectation of holiness and righteousness, but are being 
transformed into basically cynical brute instruments that serve a purpose and nothing else. They don't really believe that these things work. They know that they work and they use them callously. They have, they have astral projection ghost man who seems very angelic in his astral form. Right. The problem is he's high out of his mind because as far as I can tell, they're just dosing him with enough morphine to almost kill him. And then he's just floating around and shooting lasers at things. <laughs> and being, also, and, he is very sickly and bedridden. Yes. I mean, that's the thing, is that, they, is that they abuse this guy who has this amazing transcendent talent, this beautiful spirit that can persist outside of his body, and they, they keep it's, him right on the verge of death at all times so they can unleash him like, like a nuclear missile. I feel we're mentioning also that whenever he is in the, the sort of astral projection, he's always smiling. Yes, he's he's completely whacked out of his gourd. I think there's only one brief moment where he doesn't smile, but yeah. Yeah, that's where that's when D cuts his astral form in half when they uh, when they confront each other at Barbaroy. Another the thing the other thing that I think really does a lot to recognize. Yeah, also, the Barbaroy were the people who were protecting the. Uh, yes, that is true. Fire. The Barbaroy are a sort of in the film nebulously explained tribe of like abhuman beings that appeared to comprise sort of a grand melange of other legendary creatures. You could see things like snake women. There were creatures that appeared to be classical demons. There were shapeshifters, all manner of ghoulies. We saw something that looked like the creature from the Black Lagoon at one point. Um, so these were these were sort of a, an opportunity to throw in little Easter eggs that were nods to old creepy crawlies from from old timey film, as well as just a hey, a lot of the things that humans feared as stuff that goes bump in the night that was real, and here they are, and they're complicating the process of of rescuing this young girl who probably doesn't really need to be rescued to be honest, until things are complicated by Carmilla. Um, and yeah, they, they, there are three of them in principle who are sort of tooling around with Meyer Link and trying to escort him safely to his destination. And these are the people who are the principal uh, roadblocks for the Marcus brothers and for D to overcome. The, the other thing that, um, that Torpo and Max brought up, and, and DM a little bit as well, is that the movie has a very, very strong sense of time. And you see it not only in the fact that is basically unchanged over a span of decades and decades, uh, both before, during, and after the, you know, and sort of in the denouement of the film, um, in the scene that uh, the Torp had mentioned about the, about the old man selling his cyborg horses, who was, you know, a small child when he was saved by D in some previous escapade. Uh, but you also get the sense that D is very, very old. He seems constantly weary and standoffish he doesn't say much because he's very that doesn't want to get hurt by losing people and at the same time there's also a part of him that deeply deeply envies the transient nature of human existence there's also a part of him that won't shut up it's his left hand that is true the <laughs> weird left hand parasite i'd be tired too who by the way is a great foil because he doesn't shut the fuck up and he's also Again, like definitely a bad guy. Like D's D's left hand has a fucked up monster inside of it, and thankfully you can do things like scrape it on the road, and it gets upset and shuts up for a while. But it kind of 
it's not a great conversation partner because it's just such a prick. You said, but also and, it tends to be talk. like the voice of reason. Yeah, it's it's an intensely self-serving organism, and that happens to gel nicely with the fact that D generally needs to make use of its abilities in some way in order to save his own life, complete a task, or or whatnot. This is this is uh, this is by and large a symbiosis, probably because D is old enough and wise enough to the left hand demon's tricks that he can maintain the upper hand through probably a lot of conscious effort. There's probably a lot that we don't really know about, but again, is implied like they, there's, it's mostly one-sided conversation about how the thing that makes D the most anxious about this job to rescue Charlotte is that he doesn't want another half vampire to be born. What, you know, what if, what if Charlotte and Meyerlink managed to conceive? And he thinks that he thinks that that is a bad thing and wants to be prevented. And in in the scene where he's racing to catch up to them at Carmilla's castle, the left hand is feeding him a constant drip of of you know paranoid and and sort of black depressive musings and uh, an apparent attempt to rattle him. So these yeah. two are probably struggling with each other a lot off camera. Yeah, that's. Probably worth knowing there just seems the only time he ever actually gets under D's skin because like the rest of the time D just ignores him and during that conversation he deliberately shuts him up. But he's also an incredible comedic foil for an otherwise very dark, very deep movie. He's he's a little bit like the archetype of the court jester, where he can get away with so much bullshit because he's kind of ridiculous on his face. And so he just kind of constantly approaches rhetorical wilding out. He's needling everybody around him. Mostly D. <laughs> it is important to know also that up to that point where he makes the comment about D not wanting to see another Dunpeel, uh, they had gone to great lengths to show that basically by all sides, Dunpeels are treated like absolute dog shit. Yeah, they... Uh, on... Hmm? Uh, no, on top of them apparently having a tendency to go berserk. Yeah, the 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 line that a half vampire in this universe walks is both an extremely thin and unsteady one and an incredibly lonely one because they have many of the strengths of both humans and vampires and a lot of the weaknesses as well. The problem is that a lot of those strengths so-called are only strengths on paper. It seems really great to be difficult to kill and have you know, sort of dubious mastery over certain qualities of the night, so-called. But then you realize that you, you can't go out in the sunshine like people you would want to be close to, or you know, you'll you'll go comatose and, and perish. You Well, it's in, in the case of the Dunpeel, it's it's essentially like heat stroke to a stronger degree. Like yeah. they don't burn up in the sun but it wears away at them and does greatly affect them. And when it does, they have to bury themselves in dirt, much like a vampire has to sleep with the dirt of their uh, of their homeland in the coffin. Yeah, it's like, I think, like, even, like, pretty early on in the movie, like, the left hand just mentions, like, oh, you remember the last time you got heat sickness or something like that? Yep. Yeah. Heat, heat syndrome is sort of a, a sort of a constant nagging threat to D, and we see him very nearly succumb to it twice. Uh, one time he's able to sort of 
thrown off for a little while, but it comes back in spades when they uh, when they confront the um, the Barbaroi while Charlotte is is doing a little bit of her last basking in the sunlight before reaching Carmel's castle. Uh, there, he actually is just he's very nearly defeated because heat syndrome puts him down for the count. The thing that I really like about the apparent age of D is that he shows great emotional maturity in some ways. Um, the 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 character he spends most of his time with uh, one of the one of the members of the Marcus brothers troop. Uh, Torpo mentioned that at, at the emotional climax of the film, which is probably in the last five minutes or so, uh, she has been doing her damnedest to hunt down Meyer Link and kill him because she lost everybody she cared about because of vampires, and there's a very strong sense that she is. She's she's not just miserable in in sort of the average way of oh my peasant village was burned down. She is she is phenomenally worn down and aged beyond her years by the horrors that she's witnessed, and she really really envies Charlotte. And you can see it a lot. Again, as a side note, another deadly sin along with the wrath, greed, gluttony, and lust that are already exhibited by the other members of the brothers' troop is that she's just deeply, deeply envious of someone who has a chance not only to be happy with someone they love, but also to escape the earth, which is basically a living hell for her. And that comes to a head where she physically strikes Charlotte and attempts to drag her away at the lake. Um, And it also sort of pours out of her when Charlotte eventually meets her untimely demise at the hands of Carmilla, and she realizes that, in a way, there's only one surcease from pain. So you, you can either get busy dying, as they say, or you can get busy living. And she's determined to try to just not run from pain anymore. She, she's sick of everything that she's done up to this point that's brought her to this emotional low. And when she sees the rocket take off and start to struggle in the sky, she is projecting herself onto it as, as, as sort of the last gasp of her desire to retreat from all of the pain of the mortal world. And once it leaves her sight, she is sort of lightened by it. She gives Dee a smile and they ride off together. And then eventually, many decades later, she perishes happily. It's an interesting parallel in that she became, she joined with the Marcus brothers because she lost everything to vampires. And then she lost everything again to vampires. Because Carmilla was behind the deaths of most of the Marcus brothers. And uh, the, 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 the angel, uh, the, the angelic man, um, did he have most? His name was Grove. Grove, right. Um, but this time, instead of being consumed with, with her negative emotions about it, she is, as Chachi said, lightened and free from everything that's been haunting her in this, with the same amount of loss that she suffered before. So it's an interesting circle that we didn't really get to see for her, but that we know is there. And in the end, she gets to have a full life with family and friends and many people who mourn her when she's gone. And it's a real satisfying character. 
Yeah, Layla, Layla is a character with some real depth. Um, and I, I think, I don't know if she's my favorite character in the film, but she's probably one of them, just because it, it's a good thing, too, because we spend most of the time, uh, the screen time of the film with her. Uh, but, I mean, man, she's got to be in the top three of, of, of well-realized characters in the film. I think honorable mention goes to Borgoff just because I think that his voice actor, um, uh, excuse me, I'm stumbling here, uh, Matt McKenzie, I think he did a really good job voicing Borgoff, especially in the scene where the first member of the Marcus brothers is slain. Um, there, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, of, of good, uh, genuine feeling emotion there. Uh, but he also just does a good job of, uh, of representing somebody who's, pretty rapidly descending into madness because things don't go well for them to start and it just gets worse from there. Uh, so I think Borgoff is another really strong character. That's basically yeah. what I was trying to get at through all that rot. Um, what uh, what were you saying? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, I was just saying, is that pretty much your point? Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, Actually, before we go on, I did have one thing to add to Chachi's point. Because in you brought up that the the hunters were like basically the bad guys of the film. Uh, I will say one what I know about the books is that's extremely true in the books because they were like even more depraved. They were the primarily rapists in that book because they were abusing Alayla, including the dying boy. Oh, and they, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> they ended up down to be like a lot more likable for the movie, but they're still probably like the villains along with like Carmilla. Also it is important to note that at one point they do get turned to vampires and they are still pieces of shit and go to attack Layla. Yeah. Well one dude does. Yeah. Two were illusions. One one got vampirized. Yeah. But still. Like for someone who was so against vampires, he was very quick to embrace it. Yep. Not sure if he really had much of a choice. Car- Carmilla's castle was shown to have a very powerful, I guess, spell would be the best well, way. It was, to put it was it. like it was essentially a place of power. It was possessed in its entirety by Carmilla. Yeah, it was like even spirit. Meyer Link was completely fooled by the illusion of Charlotte being taken away by D. He wasn't killed by Carmilla's act that uh, that tried to kill him there, but it delayed him enough that Carmilla was able to almost accomplish her goal of slaying and possessing Charlotte. It, it's emblematic of the difference in types of power that we see in the film. The, the struggle between, um, between Meyerlink and the Marcus brothers is largely one of physical power and a, a little bit of political might as well, because Meyerlink had his... You know, he had his connection to the Barbaroi through some sort of ancient pact that dictated the Barbaroi would serve the nobility in perpetuity. Meanwhile, Carmilla's power uh, is, as far as we can tell, very nearly the strongest in the film, and it's all implied and insidious. She is able to see the darkest recesses of a person's mind and hit the exact button that will cause them to become completely unwound emotionally and therefore vulnerable to attack. In terms of if I can be if I can be slightly of the time here, um, this is a castle that would kill Highwang like sixty times <laughs> in in one trip. 
and it would all be Torbo's fault. Um, I guess <laughs> it would be my fault. <laughs> Shit is but incredible. it's it's not my fault that I'm 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 so good at this. Only only Torpo could tame Carmilla, also the son of the Vampire King. Um, yeah, man, Car- Carmilla's Carmilla's castle is an excellent set piece. It's this giant, hideous Gothic spider spaceport. It's just and fun. just like on the interior, it's so ridiculously opulent and over yes. the top. Goth as hell. Love it. Yep. I also do feel worth mentioning that. Meyer at this point was very much blood starved. He had mm. been deliberately not drinking for a while. It was like and we talked about earlier that it's implied that he did a whole lot of bad stuff just as a vampire. But we can see that he has strongly changed, probably because of Charlotte. And I kind of wish we'd had more of their story, like what. Yeah, how they met and what their what their personal story is that would make this person that I D is the one that says he's killed so many people, and D's been around long enough that he would know. Yeah, also because oh, he's a vampire. You know, vampires do bad things. Like, no, I I personally known this guy for for ages. I know this sort of crap that he did. Yeah, it seems like the do bad stuff is just surviving as a vampire. Yeah, basically. Uh, also, to be fair, uh, it, it's not abundantly clear who is right. They they kind of make it a point to never actually confirm either side. Mm-hmm. Uh, D might be right, but also he could be wrong that Charlotte could also be correct that he hasn't killed anyone since they've been together. Which I in in they can in that case they can both be right. Yeah, like Meyer can absolutely be a changed man because of the love of this woman. He is, of course, capable of pretty astonishing brutality uh, because we, we do see I mean, not, not only is his pretty phenomenal physical might toward, you know, at, the, at the action climax of the film where he throws down with D, but also uh, near the beginning of the movie when Charlotte's family are recounting their attempt to recapture her, uh, there is a scene of him um, using his, as an aside, uh, Meyer Link's cape that is also bat wings, that is also a giant blade, that is also a shield, is the literal coolest thing in the fucking world. Holy <laughs> shit. Um, but yeah, he, he sort of turns into a big bat and like butchers an entire gang of people who are coming to try to, uh, try to quote unquote save Charlotte. Whether or not this is accurate, that's, there, there is there is some uncertainty, as Torpo says, but it's pretty strongly implied that if he didn't kill a bunch of people, he certainly maimed a shitload of horses. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot there's of horse also, stuff in this movie. There's also that pillage that the, uh, we were, where we were introduced to the hunters that was, like, all turned into zombies. Which I yeah. guess could have been someone else, but was probably him because he went through the area. Yeah, I'm not super clear on whether that town was turned specifically by Meyerlink in the brief interval that he passed by, uh, in, you know, in his flight from the Marcus brothers and D. But it's it's not a good look, is the problem. I mean, he's a vampire. He was there within the last 24 hours, and everybody are ghouls. What, yeah. what conclusions are you meant to draw? And again, yeah. it's uncertain, but it's not a good look. It's which like, is part of the reason that DQ's following it. Like, How Charlotte, are... were you sleeping at the time? 
However, this again speaks to Dee's emotional intelligence and the and the age and wisdom he's carrying around because he notices during his initial clash with Meyer Link that Charlotte feared for her paramour and cried out when she thought he was in trouble. That caused him to almost get his head taken off. And when he confronts Charlotte again while she's basking in the sun at the lake, he doesn't immediately go in for the snatch and grab. He probes the situation to try to figure out what's going on. He still tries to appeal to Charlotte's humanity by saying, Meyer is a literal monster. You, you, you can't be safe and happy with him forever. And So it's important know. to note that he also draws massive conclusions talking about the family that loves her when he doesn't fully know her home situation either. Yeah. He just knows they're willing to pay, you know, $20 million or, or whatever the, the fun book is to get her back. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, D D's not an angel here, but it, it does, it does sort of show that he, he's both pretty perceptive and he's also kind of, he, he shows a little bit of his vampiric heritage at times because he's aware of things that make humans tick and he's willing to try to press those levers in order to get the job done. As, as Max and, and DM both said, I think maybe Torpo brought this up too, I, I do think that's one of the things against this movie is that we don't really get to see a good, you know, a, a good explanation for how Charlotte and Meyer like, became so close Although, to be honest, I think that might be for the best because that probably would have added another 30 to 40 minutes to the film. I think the, a lot of the ambiguity around a lot of it works better in its favor because the yeah. focus is on this specific story. It's not about how they met or what they were before. Yeah, I, that, that's really that's that's why I say it's it's almost a backhanded ding, because one, you would stretch the narrative out a lot by explaining it further. And two. I I do agree very strongly with Torpo is that is that the the murky nature of the narrative is is something that is really strong and surprisingly manages to carry the film in a way where there is a lot of downtime in this movie. It's very narratively dense and it's it's almost perfectly paced. Yeah, but like honestly, the slowest part of the movie. There, there aren't any scenes where it's like, oh, we, we could have stood to not have that scene. Like, it, it fits together very well. Yeah, honestly, probably the slowest part of the movie is uh, that one part where they're in the village getting the new horse. Because, like, I can understand what it was trying to establish, but it was also, like, it had the least influence on the plot. True. It was just sort of there to show that... It was, it, well, it was establishing a lot of things for... Time. It was establishing a lot of things for D, sort of like yeah. the, the, his agelessness, be the sort of prejudice against unpeels, things like and that. And also just getting him a new horse. A sick new horse. His last one exploded. Yeah, it uh, didn't end well for it. I'm going to be honest. I, I realize that I'm outing myself as a bitch baby by saying this, but I think that if I fell 900 feet onto solid rock, I'd probably explode too. Weakly. Well... The coward that I am. <laughs> Learn to just you not have to meat gravity. and bone. <laughs> Learn to just not be made of meat and bone, you fucking coward. The secret's out. Made of meat. Pitiful beast of meat and bone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
So did anyone else have any other points they wanted to make? No. I think so, not for me. He's giant sword is not that cool, actually. Yeah, not really. He However, catching an arrow shot from several, like, from out of sight while on your horse is very cool. That is, yes. Yes. I'm just saying his sword is goofy. It is kind of goofy. His fucking Sephiroth sword. <laughs> Look, let's be honest. Sephiroth has a Vampire Hunter D sword. Yeah. He has a hat hidden away in his closet. <laughs> <laughs> Vampire Hunter S. They're saving that for the remake. There is Hunter S. I hate this. <laughs> anyway, uh, so any last thoughts? No. Nope. No. All right. So let's go ahead and rank this. So we are going to rank this using our normal 1 to 21 scale, um, with 1 being absolute mastercraft and nothing else really can be done to improve it, uh, and 21 being absolute, like not even ironically fun to watch garbage. Uh, so, DM, what are you thinking? 1. I can't okay. really think of any flaw, big flaws for this movie, so I'm just going to say 1. All right. Max and Chachi. Uh, it's, it's really up there. Uh, there. There are maybe like one or two things that could be used to streamline the experience a little bit, but it's, it's such a strong story. It holds up so well visually. There's, there's just a ton to recommend this. And the fact that I think this movie gets better with repeat viewings means that I, I've got to put this in a two. All right. Uh, I, I was also going to say probably, probably two-ish. Okay. Like, uh, I don't think it is perfect, perfect, but it is really, really good. Okay, and Torpo? Oh man, more disagreements with numbers here. Um, I, I would definitely say at least a two. You're thinking two? I, I, so my problem is I'd rather watch it over the Adams Family. But then, like, I don't feel like arguing fucking semantics at this fucking point. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, not Adam's family. What about Redline? Uh, I would still rather watch Redline. So, here's the thing that I would say about that uh, is the fact that I was thinking three. Hmm. So, I think just because I really couldn't think of anything that's like, oh, like, there were a few things that I felt were kind of like out there that I don't feel like it, it's kind of a little weird watching. Like you're kind of watching something midway through. Um, it, it just like, I thought I was like, eh. it's like a also style, like from a personal taste stand standpoint, I'm not super huge into dark Gothic kind of stuff. That's a you problem. <laughs> it is yeah. that's and that's why i'm saying it that is kind of a personal thing that why i would personally put it like don't get me wrong this movie's fantastic but i was thinking more in the three range but i i guess i am actually thinking maybe two i'm thinking that two is probably the best spot for this two votes and averages yeah I, I feel like looking at the descriptions extraordinary extraordinarily high quality and serves as a stellar example of the genre but could be a bit too quirky or convoluted i think that sort of describes vampire hunter d perfectly yeah i i think it does as well so that's uh that's two yep 
also so we're not arguing for 30 minutes about <laughs> numbers like we did for last Actually, couple yeah. movies. Okay, Bloodlust. Okay, so let's see. In this episode 51. Oh, this came out in 2000. Oh, 2000. Oh, let me copy paste that director. Let me get back to the Vampire Hunter D page. Because I'm not putting guy who did Ninja Scroll in the that field. <laughs> okay, you're right here. Yep. There. Uh, this was a theatrical movie. They were actually kind of planning on bringing this over to the U.S. in theatrical form, and apparently it it was received very well. So let's see. Oh, uh, what did we? What do we want to call the genre? We have action. Gothic, uh... really? <laughs> I know it's not a genre, but um, it is now. It is actually, in a weird way, kind of a western. Yeah, but that's not what I put it. It's action. Yeah, I think action. Fantasy. It's fucking action. Uh, yeah, let's do. Let's go fantasy. Do action or fantasy. Yeah, fantasy makes more sense. Uh, where's fant? But spelled with uh, F A N T. Just copy. Well, I was, look, I was looking in my drop paste or my drop down list. Uh, this one I will give the tone of spooky. I'll just do this. Uh, content like there's a lot of like it's not gory it's just like yeah there's like yeah. people like occasionally they'll like they'll get like cut and stuff but it's not gory the, the most gore is probably the said exploding horse yeah and even then that's see chunks when that happens yeah. yeah and in that case that's it's a fist of the north star style explosion where it's just like you see the silhouette. No, no, no you, there's there's some visceral. There, yeah, there. Oh, is there? That yeah. was sort of the moment that I went, "Oh, these are these are actual real horses, and not they're just cyborg horses." I might have I might have missed that part. Yeah. They just have they're cyborg horses. I'll, I'll put G just in case. Cyber visors. They're meat and metal. All right. Jeez. So let's see. What do do we want to get? What do we want to put? For music, charm, cinematography, storytelling, action, and art. Uh, art. Which do we? As I say, yeah, which, art, definitely. Yeah, yeah. What do we raise to give a thumbs up? Uh, I would also give charm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably uh, cinematography too. Cinematography. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. Music is there. Yeah, it's, I guess that's kind of negative. I think the soundtrack does what it's meant to accomplish very well. And I think that there are some definite high points, um, but it's not like an absolute tour de force from back to front. Yeah, it does its job, but it doesn't like, I wouldn't listen to the soundtrack outside of this. It, it yeah. served its purpose. Yep. Also, um, I didn't say anything about the action just because th- there isn't actually a whole lot of action. Yeah. That's usually very fast. That is one thing I will knock against it, is that the entire fight with the werewolf thing is off screen. Yeah. I was hoping somebody would mention it. Most of the combat is over with, like, pretty quickly. Yeah, D finishes things pretty fast. And there's definitely... The big fight with Meyer is literally him holding his sword against his cape. Yep. Which, to, to go back really quickly to Torpo's point earlier, 
that's Meyer after like weeks and weeks of traveling with no feeding on blood. And he's still strong enough to, for example, slice a stone pillar that is probably 20 foot across in half casually. It's it, it boy. It's just, there's, there's so much, there's so much weight and, and sort of hideously clean grace to everything. Yep. Yay. Uh, let's see. Is there anything we want to call for gay or nay? Time to look at the charms guide again for the millionth time. Like it's not. Do you have like a problematic source material for nay? Uh, No, we don't. If anything, I would say that's kind of a yay for the film because it leaves all that shit in the dust and doesn't need to use it in order to advance the plot. Yeah, it's more just as a oh, I this is as a book. I wonder what that's like. Like put a put a little flag on there and say tread tread with caution. Uh I'd almost say just put it put it uh under yay as it just like improves upon the source material in a meaningful uh, way. I put a bar of soap. Yeah. Just just like everything that Madhouse does, I'm gonna give a yay to their use of lighting. The the lighting in this movie is Fucking. I would call that under that cinematography. Okay, yeah. So, so extra yay for cinematography. I mentioned this while we were watching this, but I think one of the best visual touches in the film is right at the beginning, where you see you see a vampire castle, and it's lit very harshly and looks kind of grainy. And if you've seen enough footage of like uh, spacewalks or the moon landing or whatnot, you can immediately tell. That's the kind of lighting you see on something when it's in space. And then sure enough, the Earth comes into view behind it, and it's a big space station for vampires. Just, like, that's that's such good lighting. Uh, I'd argue more, uh, also there's the way they like to play with reflections repeatedly with Meyer. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 sta- the standard vampires don't appear, and you know, they have no reflections, but mm, they make it work so well. They go to great lengths to show that he is not appearing in those mirrors, but you yeah. have these constant contrasts between the mirror and what him and Charlotte are doing. Starting off viewing the mirror first and then panning down to show, no, they're standing in front of the mirror, but it just looked like she was standing by herself. I, I mean, literally the very first, the opening of the movie is him going into her room and carrying her out, but it does the shot from the mirror, so you just see her floating away. And the uh, again, the details on that are spectacular. You can very easily see that there is something holding her, her her clothes deform as though they're draped over somebody. You can even see a little bit of subtle indentation on her flesh through the camisole. Like it's it is incredibly well composed visually. Uh, or another good one is uh, what I mentioned before about the the power lines. Uh, and just the great lengths they went to to properly like show off all the shadows, yes, and really help it sort of pop. I, actually, yeah, I would say yes. Cinematography is absolutely fantastic. Uh, so what I'm kind of thinking of putting for yay, uh, made of abundant love. Yeah, uh, I can't really think of a name for this though, like because the length yeah. is just right. Um, yeah, there's not really. Aside from the sort of cutaways for some of the fights, there's not really anything to complain about. Yeah. 
like I said, if we don't have like a problematic source material thing, then I got nothing. Yep. Yeah, I think we could leave that blank then. All right. So there, there we have it for Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. Uh, we get another in the two. Um, so with that, uh, before we talk about what we're doing next week, um, Death, is there anything you want to plug? Yes. I, you can uh, watch me stream on uh, twitch.tv slash deathmaster780. I stream Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 p.m. EST. And I also run a movie night on my uh, Discord, which uh, I don't exactly know that. You can find links to that on my Twitter at twitter.com slash deathmaster780. All right. Uh, Max and Chachi. Uh, we both stream together at twitch.tv slash Max in Chachi, uh, streaming um, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays at 7 o'clock Eastern, and Sundays at 3 o'clock Eastern. We do typically variety stuff, and uh, just try and have a good time. I will also give a plug to your local animal shelter. Uh, adopt, don't shop. You might find your best friend. Um, and I would also like to plug, uh, at least for our home state of North Carolina, um, same day registration for voting is taking place from now until the 30th, excuse me, the 31st of this month. So uh, if you if you want to exercise your right to try and shape the country to be something better, go out, register and vote. Uh, so, yeah, this will be up on the 27th. So if you're listening to that then. Please do, if you're in North Carolina, please take care of that immediately. Uh, Torpo. Okay, so first off, if my best friend is at an animal, is at an animal shelter, I have bigger problems in my life. <laughs> uh, well, really, they have bigger problems in their life, I, I should argue. but uh, Secondly, uh, twitch.tv slash torpotypist for streams on, on weekdays, usually. Uh, and uh, at Torpotypist on Twitter. Uh, and I would like to plug up the holes in my poor, poor cyber horse. <laughs> yes. Um, so next week is actually a important one uh, because next week is actually going to be the 52nd episode of Media Delta, which means it's one year of Media Delta. Uh, also, coincidentally, we will be recording this likely on October 29th, which is my birthday. So I yeah. get to pick the movie. Uh, and we're watching one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, and that is Flash Gordon, which is a treat if you have not seen that. I've literally never seen it. It is an experience. Never seen it, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you were in for some Brian Blessed. Yes. Gordon is, in fact, alive. <laughs> all right. So that'll do it for this episode. So thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. If you would like to look at the full list of rankings for yourself, please visit r3.ldp.life and go to the Media Delta List tab. If you would like to watch Media Delta's sister show, Retrorank Rhapsody, you can either watch at youtube.ltp.life or by tuning into twitch.tv slash at 7.30 p.m. on Fridays, 
2.30 p.m. on Saturdays and 1 p.m. on Sundays. All those times are from the Eastern U.S. time zone. If you would like to discuss this episode with the community, you can do so by joining our Discord server, which you can do so by going to discord.ldp.life. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you tune in for our next episode.